there's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer brand. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is Direct to Consumer by Pilothouse. It is all killer, no filler. We are Pilothouse. This is DTC, our podcast, our content brand. We just launched our newsletter. We're super excited about it. You got to subscribe at directtoconsumer.co. You got to understand that these insights are going to be fueled by the Pilot House team, as well as by all the amazing brands that we interview on this podcast. So go to directtoconsumer.co right now and sign up for our free newsletter. You're going to love it. Welcome to All Killer No Filler, guys. Let's just have one more conversation about this interesting bit of news we found out today about how Ty Lopez bought Pier One Imports, a legacy furniture brand, for $31 million uh, as it's going into receivership. Kyle, your, bring up your point again, because I thought it was a good one about maybe what they're doing here, because I have something to add. Well, there's, there's a couple thoughts I had. One, I'm sort of the highest level, like does that deal include property? Because that would make a lot more sense. Um, but also in addition, like, you know, I haven't heard Ty Lopez in, in a little bit or, uh, you know, he's not, he's not out there like he was back in the day, uh, selling books next to Lambos. But I wonder if this is a, just a branding play to, to kind of, you know, put him back at the, at the top of the news cycles. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I liked your idea, too, that it's potentially he just looked at the inventory and knew that in yeah. some sort of like Phoenix from the ashes, he might be able to like make his cost back. Of, of totally. he, might, he might just be able to take that inventory and put it right on Wayfair and call it a day. Like, he's, got, he's got liquidators on standby. I, I don't think he actually got the inventory, guys. I don't think. Oh, really? I could be wrong. But he also, it looks like they bought Dress Barn, which was like another company. Unless I'm completely out of No, they did. I was, they were talking about that on uh, My First Million as well. I, I met some guys who were making a mint with e-commerce. And this is pretty sketchy, so we don't recommend this in any way. But I, I met a, multiple people who would just run store going out of business ads like all the time. They just buy brands and then they'd run store going out of business ads in perpetuity. Uh, because people just always want to feel like they're getting a deal. And if you could lower your acquisition costs by you know, using that sort of angle... Uh, it works for some people. He, I don't know if he'd be thrilled that I'm giving out his his tip here. I, I think also if you if you're buying you know if you're buying the brand a brand that has done billions of dollars in sales for thirty million dollars and you just switch it to ecom where all the baby all the baby boomers are going because of COVID. I mean I think there's actually a smart business play here, which is just like get the assets, get the brands for pennies on the dollar, switch it to direct to consumer, and and like the world's your oyster. I love it. I, you know, I also, as someone in the info space, I get targeted all the time by different info products. And the one that I, that I keep seeing lately is this guy that's literally just talking about boomer businesses in general, like not even just not, not necessarily turning them, you know, turning them into online businesses, but actually just, there's this whole generation of business people that have been running successful, profitable businesses for years. And they're just looking for ways to retire into the sunset kind of thing. Uh, and so there's this massive market opportunity to, to be taking these businesses off people's hands, even before you factor in the fact that, you know, us millennials could, uh, you know, turn it into a, a really going concern with our digital tactics or whatever. It's a really great opportunity. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like accounting firms, there's huge retirement populations. There's laundry mats. There's, there's so many kind of brick and mortar things that, you know, won't die, um, you know, with the rise of, of, of online. Well, accounting actually, who knows? <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna start buying uh, Amazon stores soon enough, right? Yeah, there you go. Just uh, that. Uh, on the 
like is the big play getting the data, getting the customers. It's like one of the best, one of the best demographics out there for e-com for anything really. Um, peer one, peer one buyers. If you have a list, uh, that would absolutely crush. Yeah, absolutely. And just having a brand people trust, right? I mean, that's just it. Like you're buying, you're buying billions of dollars worth of successful transactions. Guys, we're going to pivot. Yeah. Speaking of data, <laughs> <That's my Walmart. laughs> but speaking of data, let's talk about the, you know, one of the things we're doing is getting feedback from our audience. We get some questions kind of coming in here. So we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, about what people are asking. One of the big questions on everyone's mind this week, obviously is CCPA. Uh, we did a little piece of it in our, uh, in our newsletter. Uh, but I'm curious, just from the front lines of your actual campaigns, what what are we seeing with CCPA and its impact, and what are we doing about it? Yeah, I I, I can speak a little bit to that. Um, it, it's it's uh, so we saw basically on July 1st, um, performance really started to slide on a couple of our lead gen clients, um, and we started digging into the data, and it was pretty obvious that California was just like gone; it just got like blown off the map. So like. It was in, in a lot of our, our with our, a lot of our clients. It was the biggest state, um, you know, not massive, but let's say seven or eight percent of spend. And that's pretty big. And then all of a sudden, you know, we'd go from getting twenty dollars leads to four hundred dollars leads. Uh, yeah. is, that, is that like globally, like well, U.S. wide, I suppose. But like what, like mathematically, that doesn't make sense, right? Like seven percent of CPA shouldn't spike that high. Like, why do you think so, that happened? Well, no, no, CPA didn't spike everywhere. CPA for California, sorry, I didn't explain that properly. The CPA for California went from $20 to $400. Uh, basically, you know, we're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on there. Um, we've seen pretty big success just launching brand new, like, run of country minus California campaigns. That's made a big difference in terms of us getting back on track quickly. Um, we're also looking into server-to-server uh, to post back uh, conversions uh, from Facebook opposed to like, actually using their post back opposed to using their pixel. Right. We'll see. I'll have more to report on that next week, I'm sure, once we actually get a little further. But. Is, I, 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 don't, I haven't read too deeply on that. I've kind of entrusted the people around me on this one. But is that, is that a lot like GDPR? When yeah. the European Union enforced those new rules or Canada's castle? Exactly. So it, it, it's California decided to go on their own and create their own state level privacy laws which have, have uh, made a bunch of, it's basically, you know, the right to opt out of, of having your data collected, all that kind of stuff. And you can request access for it and see the whole chain of events and all that stuff. You know, to, to be fair, it's, I mean, it's, it's well overdue. Yeah, it is. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how Facebook deals with it and like what their, what their game plan is. Cause I don't even think they properly know. There's a bunch of stuff out there, but there's no real, um, and I'll be honest, I, I have another guy on my team that's, that's, that's kind of, he's taking lead on that. So I don't know the exact nuance of it, but um, it doesn't sound like they know exactly, they don't have a game plan like going right now. The, the consensus is definitely that Facebook has no clue what they're doing with it. And also um, that they may have botched it. That being said, we've uh, had some good conversations with our, our Facebook rep, super helpful and kind of, um, you know, exposing as much as she can to us uh, for it. Um, nothing too actionable other than um, kind of try and roll with the punches and, uh, you know, here's a few things to opt in uh, if, if your clients are a bit sensitive uh, about, you know, following us. Um, but kind of on the, on the campaign front, uh, we've done some interesting tests uh, similar to what Jeff's talking about. 
um, where we uh, do some exclusions and, and uh, uh, inclusions. Um, but I think one of the things that's happening is, is it's evolving. Uh, the pixel is kind of figuring it out. And uh, what, what we've come to terms with is that uh, it's almost better to let uh, let let the algorithm figure it out um, because if you start putting exclusions in uh, early, it's not actually training the pixel. Um, you're kind of you're kind of beholden to the, those exclusions going forward. Whereas if the pixel doesn't see the conversions firing out of California, it'll slowly start to optimize uh, away from that. Um, so yeah, it's been a big hit. Uh, just some quick metrics with one of our clients. Uh, um, I think June we're spending probably eight percent of our spend for USA campaign was going through it two and a half times ROAS. Um, as soon as July hit, that went uh, to 0.67 ROAS, so really big hit. Um, but the interesting part about that is, as the months kind of progressed, um, that eight percent of spend uh, has kind of dialed back down to about two percent in terms of a mix. So, you know, that, that, that goes to show that the algorithm is working as it should to some degree and, and kind of making up for it. Is your ROAS uh, still at 0.67? I can't remember what the number you said, but is it still 0.67 in California or are you seeing it optimize to go back up even at, you know, at 2% of spend? Or is it uh, no. have a loss? Yeah, those stats are just from yesterday. So oh, okay. that's, that's, yeah. Uh, but that's a really good point, Jeff, and I think uh, something maybe for another uh, podcast later is a follow-up on that, um, because I, I think that this will kind of bounce back, like, very similarly to what we saw with GDPR. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's like a hit, uh, both on the algorithm side, um, you know, because it doesn't know how to optimize properly, um, but there's still people in California that want to buy products. Like, that, that's not... Uh, that's not changing, right? I think your advice about keep staying in, you know, keeping faith in the algorithm, even when something is going wrong, I think is a really valid one because you want to stay in their dev cycle too. Because if it's like if they're putting fixes in to, to, to affect this and you've already like, you know, changed their access to your data, it might, it could affect, it could have a longer term effect than if you just would have stayed with the course. You know what I mean? I, yeah, and I, I, I totally do agree with that. I think there, there are some times, though, where we have, uh, at least on my side, we've taken some, uh, you know, the pixel gets some bad learnings. We have, you know, when there's a, there was a pixel outage a few months ago, I can't remember what it was, it just stopped converting for an entire day. And we, we, we let it go for a few days and it just would not come back. It was so far off. We were like three times CPA. Um, and we ended up just launching a new pixel. And like literally night and day, it was like back to better than it was prior. So it's like sometimes, like absolutely, there are like, and especially depending on the amount of traffic you're sending through it, um, it's it's important to stick with it. But I, I think it's also don't be shy, in my opinion, to like fire something else uh, up if if time is of the essence. Also, just one thing totally unrelated, but I wish this was live because Shopify's checkout just went down and everyone's oh. freaking out. Oh, yeah. Should we stop? Oh should we stop the podcast here? I can connect it live right now. We can we can go live right now on Zoom. Fine, that's cool. The, the the team is definitely dealing with it, but uh, but yeah, pretty crazy. Insta page is down, so it might be an AWS thing or something as well. What is going on? We've got that Twitter hack earlier last week. Uh, we've got we've got this Shopify thing going down. What is going down, fellas? 
well Jeff you mentioned you know the, uh, the outage on Facebook you know a few months ago I think there's been like four or five since then I think yeah. earlier this this week there was one for like two hours uh, or two or three hours so it's it's you got to roll with those punches I guess decide whether you're gonna let the algorithm sort it out or go in there manually and try and hack your way out of it yeah totally Totally. Age old concerns. So speaking of hacking, one of the other questions that we had uh, was about dynamic creatives uh, and the role that we're seeing in our campaigns of dynamic uh, creatives. I remember uh, early on with dynamic creatives, part of the idea was that they were ideal for testing in that you could take early audiences and test a bunch of different parameters, but that's not exactly what we're seeing. Andrew, can you talk a little bit about what, what we're seeing there with DCT? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, again, something that I think has changed over time. I think we, we started to build out a methodology where in early in accounts, we would use DCTs to do our angle testing uh, and, and uh, you know, very efficiently and quickly figure out uh, what angles resonate with different products. And this worked on brand new accounts, brand new clients. Um, as well as existing old uh, um, scaling um, clients. And uh, something, something feels like it's changed as of recently. Uh, whenever we launch DCTs these days, um, for those purposes, uh, we're seeing higher CPCs than, than, than prior. Uh, so it's turned into a more costly testing method. But the, the only caveat to that is it's still working on kind of warmer pixel accounts. Um, and, and so we kind of shifted to middle of funnel testing and retargeting testing in terms of the creative front rather than cold prospecting on, on, uh, uh, on cold pixels, basically. So that's, that's just my quick observations, but I know Kyle's... Yeah, I got a good example. So we, we really um, do a lot of DCT for early testing, angle testing, uh, which creative is going to work well, then we apply that to other uh, bigger, broader uh, prospecting efforts or retargeting or whatever. But launch a new product, completely cold, DCT, same structure we always use. It's in the health vertical, shit the bed. Couldn't even get like my angles out of it. Uh, it's now a little bit warm, maybe you know, 100 purchases a month later. Um, DCT crushing like night and day uh, one month from from launch through so the, Andrew I think like it is really interesting I think I think you know kind of the, the Facebook well any ad platform just the evolution of, of what's working and why is always is always is always moving on you so um, yeah I think for, for the next podcast we came up we're, we're testing some new methodologies when it comes to uh, yeah, this early angle testing, so um, we can follow up uh, with some with some different strategies there. Are you guys using um, DCTs at scale? Like, are you used, like we, we, one thing we've seen is like you know we have a we have a client we're spending like twenty grand a day on, and the dynamics just always get us the best CPA. We can't seem to beat it, but. That client has also just recently taken a pretty big dip. So we're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get that back. So maybe we need to get rid of those right now and, and see what's else in there. That's a good point. I totally forgot that, that side of it. Um, 
that's the other like major spot that we're using DCTs is uh, um, just like instead of static uh, static creative and they were built out for introducing new creative but uh, have done so well similar to what Kyle's talking about uh, that we just kept that we just keep pumping budget into it and even when we take these the winners out of it and build static ads DCT still performs better so yeah it's really it's really like changed in terms of its its use uh, as a tool um, it's no longer really like proving out creative and maybe it's just feeding uh, campaigns hundreds of creatives letting the algorithm a warm pixel uh, find the right ad at the exact right spot for the right person and and that's why it scales so well yeah and I think we're gonna see more and more stuff happen like that I mean there's no question Facebook wants to take over as much of the decision-making as possible so this is I mean this is obviously a natural route no question mm -hmm. Cool. Eric's talking, but can't hear. Good. It was, it was not good. It was. It, it really wasn't good. So uh, I'm glad that it got cut out. No, uh, that's fantastic. So that, that's DCTs. I think that's a really neat idea about how they've sort of inverted in in how we think about how they're, you know, about how to use them. And I think some really good insight as to why they work at scale. Just being able to feed that algorithm with uh, with lots of different options. Um, what about, uh, so this is another question we had from, from people who subscribe to our newsletter at directtoconsumer.co. Uh, it's something that, that we hear all the time. Uh, and, and it's just, it's all about, you know, we always know that he who can pay the most for a, a customer can win, which means you need to get your AOVs up, which means you need to have really strong upsell strategies. Uh, and so I'm, I was curious, like, what, what is a good benchmark for uh, a good upsell take rate? I, I know when we look at, uh, at advertisers' accounts, when we open them up, so few advertisers, even successful e-commerce advertisers, are really maximizing their upsell strategy. So I want to just take a minute and, and talk about our ideas. For, for, for so Let's start with what's a good benchmark for a good upsell take rate? But I guess you just need to frame it, right? So there's different types of upsells, and there's different upsells in different parts of a flow. Right, so like you'll have pre-cart order bumps, upsells, um, you know, carousel options, add this to your order type thing. You have uh, order bumps that are in cart, right? Like get uh, expedited shipping for seven ninety nine. Uh, get this additional PDF book that you know changes your life. Whatever it is. Um, then there's also post-purchase upsells, and so it really kind of depends on on kind of where you're looking there, Eric. Is there a specific thing you want to talk about? Just lead right into it. Like, yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the the first one. Yeah, I mean, like I've I've seen accounts with you know pre-cart order bump type stuff at like 50, 60, 70 percent. Um, it really just comes down to value. If it's a variation, if it's a duplicate of the same product, like buy more, uh, buy more, save more. You know, Costco wholesale pricing. Um, but I've seen that get up to like yeah, 50, 60, 70 percent take. Um, lower price points obviously convert better and uh, you know better copy obviously converts better but the problem there uh, are you are you talking about order bumps or are you talking about like I'm talking like, like, an, like a like a add this to your order okay there you but the, the challenge with those is that it's limited in the kind of sales copy and so like the customer already kind of has to be familiar with the product like if it's a pair of socks like obviously you're gonna get if you like cats like sure why not get dog socks whatever 
um, they're, they're 19 points, <laughs> the conversion rate, the con or, or so whatever. I mean, do you like cats get the dog socks? <laughs> but um, when you get into post-purchase upsells, it's kind of a whole different game in that you have the credit card already on file um, and you can just give a customer an option to buy after they've already transacted. And so the transaction flow is you know, really simple, really nice, really clean, really easy for the customer to do. And depending on the offer or depending on the copy in that offer, you, know, you can get your first upsell take. A really strong, good, compliant upsell take is like, that's like really strong is 40%. Um, we average anywhere from you know, 20 to 25% probably. For take one, and there's there's following takes. It's you know eighteen percent and like six percent for the third if we go that far. It's a, it's a, on that first or uh, upsell uh, post click post purchase upsell. Um, or I guess all the upsells. It, it's all about clarity, right? Because uh, that's really what's going to determine your up uptake, and also therefore we're going to get to your customer service team and, and chargebacks, all that kind of stuff. So it's like, oh, yeah. fine. it's like, it's a figuring that fine balance out between uh, making sure you have uh, added uh, AOV and a good conversion rate on that, on that uh, upsell, but aren't like absolutely burying your customer service team or, you know, hurting your processing. It's also just about providing value. I mean, do, doing it intelligently is, 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 you know, giving the person an opportunity to save more on the same product or find something that goes with that product. You don't need to be like bash everything in there you can just to get your AOV up. I mean, it, it's still about, you know, making sure that whatever you're putting up there uh, is in line with what you're selling and that you're not going to have consumers being pissed off that they just bought something they didn't realize they bought or, or wanted to buy. Totally. Like my favorite step one is just more of the same product for half the price. I mean, not every brand likes to discount like that, um, but you know, that out of the gate, that'll probably land around 18% every time. Um, you know, there's a good example of a client who just uh, on cart hook actually. And um, it's a, it's a health device. It's an actual device, but you know, it's, it's a single, single person use. And so we came up with this idea of buy one for your spouse because they're going to want to use it when you're watching Netflix. And you know, out of the gates, that came out came out pretty strong. Love that. It's just one upsell. It's super clean. It's another product. You know, free shipping included. Don't share. Post purchase upsell. Correct. Yeah. And so, what what tool are we using for post purchase upsells? Because I because that's not a native Shopify feature. No. So I mean, we've we've been through them all. Um, for the most part now, we're using Carthook. Uh, as external tools, um, we also have an internal tool that does that. Um, but we've, you know, used uh, one-click upsell, which is the Zipify guys. Um, like it, it does the trick. Uh, Cart hooks a little bit more flexible. Um, we've also used products like Connective and Limelight, which are more, uh, more kind of intense, and you have to kind of do custom builds. So you have to kind of rebuild your store on top of those. But those are a lot more powerful but still come with their own kind of flaws. Each, each of those platforms kind of has, has their own gaps and it's um, depending on what you're trying to measure and, and how you're trying to make it work. It, it, it works kind of janky, but it'll get, they'll get the job done. And they each, you know, integrate with the payment processors in a different way too. So totally. there's a lot of nuances there. Yeah. That's another pain in the ass, right? Yeah. Like uh, PayPal pro, for example, doesn't work, doesn't work with uh, card hub. 
um, whereas it might work with some of the other guys. But yesterday, Cardhook uh, released that, that PayPal uh, integration, so now it works without having to uh, get your account enabled? Yeah, you don't need to, from a compliance perspective, in PayPal, you don't need to opt, you don't need to get permission to do this uh, type of upsell um, anymore. Um, however, if it's a PayPal Pro account, it still won't work. It has to be like PayPal traditional business or express or whatever. Yeah, uh, Braintree, isn't that? Uh, yeah, Braintree is owned by PayPal. That does work, but it's a different mm -hmm. default than PayPal Pro. So lots of complications <laughs> with each of these and, and making it work with your store can be tricky. One of the other things that's in this topic that I, that I think is interesting, I think a lot of people want to know is how to turn, like when in that flow is it best to try to turn a single transaction into a subscription? Is that like, a, is that something you do uh, after that first purchase or is it after, you know, is it a period after that first purchase? How, what's our best tactic for that? We like to do it on the, you know, on the sales page or the product page. So obviously very common, buy now, subscribe and save. Um, however, unless it's a group of like high, like if you're trying to push the AOV up, you're bundling products. And so a uh, subscription of like five units of something may not make sense. And so uh, you kind of look over that and you, you go lower value and you try to build an LTV that way. Um, so right from the gate, we kind of make it available. Um, however, like we've also done things where you just, on your on your cart so your order bump actually is save 20 percent right now click this button subscribe um in shopify obviously there's like recharge and that'll be kind of built into the cart um depends on the platform that you're using it's, it's very similar to like what amazon's obviously doing the subscribe yeah. and save totally and we're seeing success there too like that's an incredible tool i'd love to get like rob on and talk about amazon a little bit someday also because mm -hmm. it's very fast um, but also we've done things like on a one click upsell. So you push them like, are you sure you don't want to subscribe and you know, you write some code and, and discount the offer and push into a subscription, um, as opposed to the first order, um, which can do well. Nice. It really it's, also good, it's also a good, uh, post purchase retargeting uh, mm -hmm. campaign, like on the ad side too. So yeah. you have, you have a happy customer month later, hit them up, you know, retargeting, uh, you know, that you can subscribe, save this. Uh, totally. This is, this is like, you know, a lot of people overlook this, but like this, like really going low on your entry price point to get, you know, your pixel warm and hot, uh, get sales coming in. And then obviously email, SMS, all that stuff, but the retargeting strategies to play into actually Stern, we just launched, we just launched a campaign that had a higher price point on retargeting and it's working better. How does that really? work? Yeah. Why would it cost more on yeah. the targeting? I just, I don't know. It's crazy, but our AOV is way up. <laughs> I just saw a note from Charlie and uh, I was like, how did you get the AOV up? And uh, straight up, he's like, I just like added a third to the retargeting price. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's, I think it's about how you proposition the, the savings, right? Like, yeah. it's like, I think, I think what it was, was like buy more and save this much more. So it's way up there, but like to the customer, they're like, oh, now this is intriguing because look at all this extra value I'm getting you know, versus, uh, you know, okay value on the first offer. Right? And, and, and they're familiar with the brand. There's more trust. I mean, it, it does it does make sense. Right? Right. I like it. That's awesome. Lots yeah, of tactics. These tactics. The other tactic I wanted to talk about today were the value-based lookalikes and the ABC lookalikes that Facebook uh, announced, I guess, last week. 
Uh, Andrew, I know that it's something that we've been kind of already doing this. We've already been hacking uh, ABC lookalikes using UTMs. Uh, have we tested the new ABC lookalikes versus our old hacked UTM system? Uh, yeah, just on that, on ABCs, uh, basically, you know, we were using UTM, uh, dynamic UTMs, and then building uh, audiences based on those uh, in in the back end, and then you can build lookalikes. So it's basically, you know, lookalikes off of ad sets and campaigns. Uh, Facebook, I think, has recognized that a lot of people are doing that, so they're building that natively into their platform it is still in beta and we haven't tested it we've done the old method uh, but today we actually got enabled uh, on our account so we're super excited to try it out and test it um, and can report back in terms of what was the other one value-based yeah um, value-based has actually been around for quite a while uh, so that's basically uploading your customer list with uh, LTV or, or AOV, um, preferably LTV, and it, it takes that into account as it's building lookalikes on your most valuable customer and your least valuable, still putting some weight behind that, but it will build a lookalike based on um, how it perceives that data, and uh, we have tested that, and it works fantastically. As you'd think it would. What's so? What's the yeah. thinking? LTV. It, obviously, the value based and LTV that makes perfect sense. What's the thinking that goes into why ABC lookalikes work, or why why these ad set specific lookalikes work? Well, I mean, I think the concept is you know, as as Facebook marketers, any any one of us here, you know, you have one campaign that's absolutely cranking. Its audience is the same as another campaign that's that's doing okay. Ads are the same, maybe, you know, the, the variables, it's hard to determine why one's winning versus the other, but it's, it's, it's the theory is that it has like targeted in to an audience that is of high value and really converting with your, with your product and your proposition. And so rather than trying to dissect and recreate and figure all that out, like just take that exact audience and throw it into a lookalike. Uh, instead of just your purchasers or just your you know, your other high-value event lookalikes. This is specifically to one ad set or one campaign that just happens to hit, have hit the, the, right, uh, the right audience. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I kind of wish it didn't. I wish that Facebook was easier to recreate your winners, uh, you know, using the same ingredients. But uh, there's, there's the... Uh, the black box of, of the Facebook pixel and algorithm on the back end that we don't have access to. And, and this in a way is kind of unlocking some of that. So it's super exciting. I think and it's it pretty gives you the, It gives you like the retroactive granularity, right? So instead of like, you can't, like once you figure out what's working, you can't split it apart once you've already collected the data. So by collecting the data from the get-go with UTMs or, or with the ABCs, uh, it, it allows you to kind of make those decisions later. It's got to be awarding as a pioneering marketer when you see Facebook realizing that you're using their system in a way they maybe hadn't thought, and then they actually build a tool around your innovation. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, what else? Anything else going on this week? What I, I just wanted to throw out a random question at the end here. I know our team has grown 
uh, a very large amount. I think we're at 30, as of today, maybe 36 employees pilot houses, which is actually, I think almost okay. double uh, what it was going into quarantine. I just wanted to know, I guess, I guess Dave is the guy really to talk about hiring. He's been, uh, he's been hammering that, but I, I know Kyle, you've done so much with this new team that we have or with, with a lot of the new team members where you're spending twice a day, every day on the phone. Like I just wanted to talk a little bit about, about what it's been like growing the team to this size and, and any insights you guys have about either, either growing the team or managing a, a new team at this size. Yeah, that's a really good question. And we can probably make it pretty quick for those who want to bounce. Um, <laughs> I got a meeting in six minutes. Okay. Um, also just Andrew's in there side, side by side with me through all this. Um, just, just to not you know, give that credit forward. Um, yeah, we have, we have a really interesting thing going. We're hiring experienced people at the top um, or mid-level buyers uh, specifically. Um, but on the bottom, on the training side, we're hiring people either in university currently or fresh grads, like right, right, fresh, fresh, fresh. So it's almost their first, you know, real job. Not that this is a real job. This is a magic job. Um, and what we're doing is we're looking for uh, educated athletes with a great attitude and, and a humble, a humbleness to them. And we're telling them from the start, uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I, there's not an official 10 commandments, but like, here's like the, the rules you need to kind of engage. And so it's really up to you to be a winner. And here's kind of what your trajectory looks like if you can build trust in us and, I'll give you, I'll give you everything that I know and I'll, I'll support you, but you need to do the same. And as a result, like the team is on fire. It's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And just, just clarify, like it's not just athletes, it's people who are team players and competitive. So have that mindset. What we've yeah. found is, is that, you know, athletes are this way to hire people with, and not always, but with this innate um, competitiveness to them. And, our industry is it, it, it's competitive and you know people we want people on on campaigns that you know won't let things they don't want to let it lose they want to win and that's that's just as much of the driver as any other factor compensation work environment all that kind of stuff totally yeah and it, it's been really tricky through covid right because it's like how do you maintain a team culture like um i think i think we started our outhouse we had six people you know 12 in office in an office 18 COVID and then, then there's like boom double <laughs> um, but we've done a really good job maintaining that and I I don't know how sustainable it is without being you know back in office and, and, and working together but whatever we are doing is is working and I think we're quite proud of the staff yeah and I, I just just one thing to add there I mean I think a lot of people are probably going through I think a lot of people went they went to work from home they saw probably a big bump in productivity. Most people we talked to did. We definitely did. Um, and then, you know, there's definitely moments where it starts to wane when people are getting sick of it. So we're, we're, we're working on that. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, we've, we've shifted to, uh, we've shifted to an online first model, uh, remote first model, which doesn't mean that everyone can't be in the office, but it means that all communication has to center around Slack, around these zoom calls, around email, basically there's no downside to being out of the office, which I think is so, so important to, you know, how we scale this thing. Um, yeah. So is the, guy, so the guy sitting on his porch there. Yeah. Hygiene's <laughs> another right? problem. No, Lovely. No, no downsides. <laughs> no downsides. <laughs> you, you need a shave, buddy. 
<laughs> no downsides. You also have no downsides by going to directtoconsumer.co right now and signing up for our once a week newsletter, uh, which will certainly be all killer, no filler. There's no room for filler in that thing. Uh, we already have a really good subscriber base. I'm really happy with the organic launch, really happy with the, the way the team pulled the, the design and the, the web assets together and, uh, and the content I think is top notch as well. So go there right now, subscribe. And yeah, we'll see you uh, at another uh, all killer, no filler. Thanks for coming on today, guys. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Thanks, buddy. Have a good weekend.